Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the official host of the 2021 Philippine Digital Convention, PLDT and Smart FVP, and Group Head of Corporate Communications, Ms. Kathy Yap Yang. Good morning. The revolution ignites with those words from Jovi Hernandez and the launch of PLDT and Smart's IoT platform. A world of possibilities is opening up to each and every one of us starting today. A world as limitless as our own imagination. And technology is fueling us on to the attainment of our personal goals and the success of our enterprise. Make sure your voices are heard by letting us know your thoughts and giving us your comments in the chat. It is my honor to bring you the first of this convention's exhilarating panel discussions right now. Technological advancements have come upon us at a speed that may have been propelled faster by the onset of the pandemic. For this panel, our global leaders assemble to bring you pivotal insights about these technological advancements and how they have been adopted by global companies, accelerating these companies' digital transformation and changing the way these businesses operate right now. The COVID-19 disruption highlighted the need to be continually prepared for change to take calculated risks and be ready to fail fast. Accelerating digital transformation has become today's revolutionary idea of business as usual. And the call to action for the world's business leaders is to stay ahead of the curve, to remain competitive for the next normal. With me now, our distinguished members of our power panel on revolutionary technology. Please welcome John Harrington, Senior Vice President, Head of Asia Pacific and Japan, Nokia. Nicholas Ma, President, Huawei Asia Pacific Enterprise Business Group. Manuel V. Pangilinan, Chairman, Metro Pacific Investments Corporation Group. Yasuo Suzuki, President, NTT Global Data Center. And Dave West, President, Cisco Asia Pacific, Japan and Greater China. Good to have you all on board, gentlemen. Clearly, the need to innovate has accelerated enormously in this pandemic, and you all have shown leadership in keeping ahead of the curve, despite the disruption. Zuki-san, I wanted to talk about data centers for one, because they've really played one of the most critical roles in the pandemic, enabling remote working, uh, the digital financial economy. So what did you do to keep ahead, to, to address the increased demand? Suzuki-san. Actually, uh, um, uh, as you know, and uh, COVID-19 uh, brought an explosion in the demand for additional capacity. And uh, actually, uh, we expect uh, this trend to continue as working from home, school, and uh, uh, everything from home, and becomes uh, uh, normal even when the uh, pandemic ceases. So enterprise are re-evaluating uh, overall disaster recovery plan as part of their response to the COVID-19 crisis. And there are other significant disasters such as hurricane and others, and typhoon and earthquake, and the new technologies uh, such as uh, and such as artificial uh, intelligence and uh, advanced data analytics will continue to grow, rising CPU power and uh, uh, cyber capacity. The enterprise data infrastructure deployment are accelerating, expanding, and uh, starting to take uh, on uh, uh, kind of like a junior hyperscale like requirement for space, power, and the connectivity. 
and uh, uh, what used to be normal enterprise request for 200 to 500 kW environment are now request for multi megawatt, uh, multi site engagement. So uh, enterprise migration out of on our premise data center into multi tenant collocation facility is increasing. And the multi tenant collocation facility have uh, uh, reached the point in uh, cost effectiveness and efficiency that the idea of enterprise building their own data center doesn't make a financial or operational sense. John, you've got a, a pretty interesting start uh, in, in the job. You, you assumed your role as Asia Pacific and Japan head of Nokia in, in January 2021, just as the, the pandemic hit. And, and that initially dampened 5G rollout plans in, in this part of the world. So what were your initial challenges? And, how did you address them, John? Yeah, thank you. It, it, it's certainly been an interesting start to the job. Um, I think at Nokia, we're a trusted partner for critical networks. And, and simply said, during the pandemic, network connectivity has become really critical, right? Critical for remote working, critical for online schooling, critical for telehealth, and basically to keep us all, all connected to, to family and loved ones. And, and I would say actually the rollout of 5G has not really been dampened by the pandemic. We've actually seen an increased demand for connectivity. Uh, we've seen global internet traffic you know, rise by 30 to 50%. What would normally have taken a year took, took only months. Uh, Nokia itself has something like 240 commercial agreements in 5G. 70 live networks and in APG alone we, we have 20, 20 customers now using Nokia 5G. We, we've seen the initial rollouts in Japan, Korea, Australia and Singapore and just in the last week we've seen now Nokia with uh, Indosat in Indonesia launching 5G. So things have certainly not slowed down. Um, I think in terms of challenges we've seen different types of traffic patterns, we've seen different types of uh, uh, you know, traffic demands. There's no longer really a busy hour. People always want to be connected uh, via their broadband connection, be that wireless or be it wireline. So we've really had to accelerate capacity into these networks and make sure they're robust because people rely on them more and more. And I think one of the biggest challenges is while many of us are working from home, we still have delivery organizations that have to keep the networks running, right? We have to anticipate that capacity. We have to deploy um, the right amount of infrastructure and we have to do that in, in, a, in a more digital way. So digital workflows, process automation, faster delivery, better control, and try and digitize as much as possible while the physical world sort of recovers. And obviously trying to keep our, our team and our customers teams as safe as possible. And then I think the, the other challenge to, to kind of top things off has been supply chain. Right? They've, they've been disrupted by the pandemic and we've had to forecast much further into the future to make sure we've got the right products and the right solutions uh, on time to meet this con continued demand. So it's been quite a challenging start, but um, I think we're, we're doing a pretty good job. And accelerating that adoption of technology has really been important for organizations, uh, especially those transitioning to, to hybrid work. Dave, could, could you tell us about some of the key technologies at Cisco that, that helped both the employees and the vendors during the pandemic? You bet. And it's great to see you, Manny, John, Nicholas, and Suzuki-san. It's great to be here. You know, when we think about um, the pandemic, the one thing we've learned is that work is not a place you go, it's something that you do. 
And when you think about the type of work styles that have happened through the pandemic, one is virtual work where everybody removed remote and had to work remotely, either from home or a remote location. And then the other aspect is, as people returned to office, the office had to transform a little bit as well. And there's three aspects of this. The first is security. Security is at the forefront of everything. Um, and really one of those technology areas that really accelerated, especially cloud security through this transition uh, and what we've seen in the pandemic. As everybody had to work remotely, now privacy, data sovereignty issues, um, making sure that uh, people were protected and intellectual property were protected, not at the office, but at home. So security was really at the forefront because the threat vector accelerated and expanded exponentially. Every branch office or every home office is now a branch office. Number two is collaboration. And as you know, we are um, we deliver WebEx to the market. We saw exponential growth in the use of our collaboration suite. And the reason is that people needed to interact either with coworkers, customers, had to go to school or talk to a physician. And so collaboration was at the forefront of you know, exponential growth through uh, the pandemic. And it wasn't just audio collaboration, it was video collaboration where people wanted to create an environment that was very typical to what they would do physical face-to-face -face in the office. And then the third piece is connectivity. And it's not just connecting people and having great bandwidth, it's about how do you ensure that user experience is optimized so that you know as you're delivering applications and services to users and customers, you need to make sure that not only the network can provide that, but the application experience and the user experience is optimal to be able to support the business and support all of those using the technology that's being provided to them. Nicholas, what about you? You, you worked in the Philippines before and have been an old friend of PLDT. Based on your understanding of PLDT and, and business in the region, what do you think of the Philippine enterprise market? At first, thanks to MVP and the PLDT for inviting me to join this session. I'm very happy to be able to come back to work for Philippine industry again. Uh, Philippines have a large population base, strong domestic demand, good long-term economic prospects, and a strong investment attractiveness. Philippine enterprise market is expanding very fast in recent years and still in developing stage of digitalization. 32% of the Philippine enterprises have digital transformation strategies. Many enterprises are thinking for the sustainable development with the help of the ICT technology, especially under current pandemic. In the last decade, PRDT have put a lot of the effort to develop to be business and achieved many good milestones in the market. As strategy partner of PRDT, we have been extending our strengths to support PRDT to success on 2C and the 2Edge. And we are confident and sincere to extend all possible efforts to support PRDT on 2B with our unique strengths. So Nicholas, what do you think Huawei as a partner can do to support PLDT's B2B business? Okay, I want to uh, answer this one, uh, talk about this one from two perspectives. Uh, the first one is uh, our global and regional experience. 
and another one is uh, innovative solutions. As we know, Huawei is the one to provide full series of the ICT solutions and products for all industries, and very keen to invest on the fundamental and the innovative technologies with increasing R&D investment about 20 to 25 billion US dollars a year, which guarantee us to support our customer and the partners with most competitive technology from long-term perspective. As of August 2021, 267 Fortune 500 companies have selected Huawei as their digital transformation partner. Our solutions have been deployed in more than 700 cities and are used by over 2,000 financial institutions and manufacturing enterprise, and more than 190 electric power companies worldwide. In Asia Pacific, we have been cultivating all the local markets about 15 to 20 years to collaborate with most of the industry. We had established relationship with over 7,900 partners in the enterprise market. Both of these two strengths can be used as a, uh, as a, a key, say, key point for the PRDT to go to market and uh, achieve more success. So what do you think, Manny, the innovative solutions? Huawei has been one of PLDT's longtime technology partners. Well, um, Huawei has been a long time, as you said, Kathy, uh, vendor to uh, both uh, our fixed line business and our wireless business. But I have to be even added here because Cisco as well uh, say is, is, a, is a supplier uh, to us. And of course, uh, Nokia. Uh, in fact, our first... Uh, a wireless network was supplied by Nokia way back in uh, 1993. And uh, of course, since the time Nokia, uh, while it was in the handset business, was a major supplier to Smart. No? So in respect of Huawei, we are, of course, satisfied with the, with the level of service, the care and attention they, they give to us, both on the wireless side of our business and at the fixed side now of our business with the fiber to the home. And uh, their pricing is uh, very reasonable. And uh, the relationship goes all the way to, to HQ in Shenzhen. No? Uh, we have visited uh, their senior people uh, a number of times uh, before the pandemic. And uh, we, we've developed a very personal relationship with the, with the Huawei group. No? So, uh, you know, despite uh, the geopolitics of, 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 the, of the situation, we tend to abstract from that and and look at the the merits of of Huawei as a supplier, and we're we're happy with them. Yeah, from what, what we've learned so far, there there's really going to be a greater need to increase innovation for one, and and move away from the comfort of operating what we know as business as usual. What leadership philosophies do you draw from for guidance in a situation where the threat of losing one's relevance is happening at an accelerated pace? Well, I, I think the theme of this uh, conference refers to revolutionary uh, developments, revolutionary leadership, no? and uh, um, it, it's something that we have to take heed of because of the very rapidly shifting patterns of, of, uh, of business, no? uh, occasioned by, on the one hand, technology, and the other hand, by, uh, by the pandemic. Uh, at the same time, on the shareholders' front, the uh, the persuasion being put on listed companies uh, to adopt uh, ESG, the environment, social, 
social work and governance uh, has also changing is also changing the way we operate the way the processes we adopt no? and the way we report uh, report the results no? we now have a separate annual report which is the traditional report but also a separate sustainability report which is also almost as thick as our annual report so you know it's um, in many ways we have to adopt the revolutionary aspects of leadership uh, adopting uh, abrupt changes as in certain areas that that are really needed but at the same time maintaining you know the values that uh, are important to to our company to pldt and the overall uh, first specific group here no so uh, but as our friend from cisco said at the at the center of it all is the customer experience in all of this uh, the 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 mantra has always been the the customer experience what at the end of the day all of this is being done to ensure uh you know network processes transformation are being done to ensure that the, we we are able to ratchet up our ability to raise the quality of customer experience which leads us to the next three to five year horizon uh suzuki-san when when you look at the analytics the projected growth in data centers around the globe they vary so what major technology trends and market trends are you seeing will drive growth in the data center industry? Actually, uh, uh, as I told a moment ago, and uh, new technologies such as uh, artificial intelligence and uh, advanced uh, data analytics uh, will continue to grow. And of course, rising CPU power and uh, server capacity. And also, uh, uh, many uh, enterprise uh, client uh, keeps uh, uh, keep uh, using uh, cloud services. That's why uh, cloud services uh, next uh, three to five years uh, also significantly, uh, I think, uh, grow. And then, uh, uh, in order to capture those uh, requirement and demand, and uh, NTT uh, continue to uh, research a new market and uh, work closely with our clients to ensure that we are delivering capacity in the many existing as well as uh, emerging market, uh, such as uh, Asian Pacific, including Philippines. And uh, our goal is uh, to be a leader in the key market where our clients are growing and partner with them to deliver. And uh, also the key technology uh, uh, to drive growth for data center is uh, the, we believe it's a kind of like a, a technology for modular design. And uh, actually, uh, the one of the first and the, uh, most important data center strategy now uh, is uh, that we are focusing on the uh, our modular design delivery system that we have implemented in the US and are expanding to uh, market globally. So our modular design uh, approach allows us to build our mechanical and electrical system in a uh, centralized plant and deliver those units to the different data centers based on the demand and the timing of our current needs. That's why uh, next three to five years uh, uh, the, with our uh, unique uh, technology, and uh, I, I believe uh, that we can capture those growing demand. John, let's zoom in on Japan for a moment, uh, a growth area also for Nokia and its expansion in the APAC. You've deployed radical new network for one of your challenging partners, Rakuten Mobile. Could you tell us how you're doing there, just leveraging technology that meet cons 
customer needs. Yes, thank you, Kathy. Uh, yeah, I was in Japan for three years personally between 2017 and 2020, and it's, it's a wonderful country, and uh, it's always been at the forefront of technology. And very nice to see Suzuki-san from NTT. Thank you. <laughs> it's 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 one of our largest markets in APJ, and I think we're doing quite well. We, we've been in the country for over 30 years, and our and our business continues to grow year over year. Uh, we're a major supplier to all four CSP customers. And we're also seeing a lot of um, excitement in the vertical industries, in the private and local 5G area as well. So this is this is really exciting for us. And you mentioned Rakuten. Yeah, Rakuten was uh, was certainly doing thing, new things at scale, and they've pushed a number of um, leading technologies, such as digital workflows, open RAN, a fully cloud-based core network architecture software-defined networking and really at the forefront of what we would call containerization and, and orchestration. So this is this has been a really exciting customer for us. Um, we're also doing some things I would say that are, that are really important in terms of sustainability. We've actually done recently a trial with KDDI on liquid-cooled base stations. If you can imagine the amount of heat and power that are required for base stations, we've actually been trialing some liquid cooling with KDDI that really helps to reduce the energy consumption and uh, over those traditional systems. But I would say, you know, in, in Japan and in general, 5G is much more than radio. So we're doing a lot of things with the traditional mobile service providers and also cable customers on high speed uh, IP routing, optical networking, GDOT fast and fixed wireless um, access in terms of next generation PON. And it's it's a market that really sets a trend. It sets a trend for many parts of the rest of Asia. So we're we're really excited by that. But if I look beyond the service providers, we're also now working directly with uh, private uh, in industry networks, also with our service providers as partners. And we've deployed or planning to deploy something like sixteen private private wireless networks. And if you think of well, how would those networks be used? I can give you some examples. First of all, we're working with Toyota, Toyota Production Engineering, where we're looking at their manufacturing center and saying, how can we create an industrial uh, private wireless network that will help them in their tooling, their processes, in the vehicle manufacturing, and really automate a lot of that operating environment. So that's, that's really exciting when we think about the applications, the services, and the workflows. A second example would be in Sendai, where Unfortunately, in 2011, there was the, the earthquake, uh, but we've actually installed, along with the local government, a public safety and emergency response system that's equipping uh, drones. You can imagine drones flying on a private network to really help with uh, HD thermal cameras, speakers, alert systems to patrol along the coast and provide the support for evacuations and, and public safety. Another example would be working with Hitachi Coxai Electric to bring local 5G to enterprise and government customers. And then I would say, you know, we're also working with SoftBank, for example, in, in uh, working in the Honda research and development site where we're looking at how can we help to operate and deploy autonomous vehicles? You know, how can we control that over a 5G network? And we're not doing it alone, of course, we're doing it with several partners such as uh, Nippon Steel, Omron, Sharp, and how do we take the 5G-based uh, benefits of low latency and ultra 
mobile broadband to bring these types of applications uh, to commercial service. So a really exciting market for us. And yeah, I think business is, is, is very strong there for Nokia. Indeed, really exciting. Uh, just sounds like it, uh, basically trying things that haven't been done at scale before. Dave, could you share a bit about Cisco's experience with your own workforce and, and your transition to the hybrid work model? I, I absolutely can. I mean, as you know, Cisco provides a lot of enterprise technology and solutions from collaboration to security, to infrastructure, to um, applications, to all of those services, both SaaS and on-prem services. It was, it was quite easy for us to go to hybrid work. Uh, our culture is around flexible work practices. So everybody sort of had WebEx on their desktop, had Duo for multi-factor authentication, you know, SD-WAN was deployed. So we had the type of rich services, you know, and, and a lot of the providers that are on this call um, also delivered those rich services with us as well to help all of those going to hybrid work. I think technology wasn't the big challenge for us in hybrid work. It was the shift uh, in how people had to work. And I think we realized pretty quickly uh, that our employees, even though they had all this fantastic technology and innovation sitting on their desktop, uh, they were employee, they were teacher, they were caregiver, they were partner at home. And so everybody is dealing with very complex work-life balance environment. So the issue wasn't, you know, technology in terms of providing the tools for our employees through the pandemic. It was really about, you know, how we changed our model about understanding what was going on in our employees' lives, uh, first and foremost, you know, how we responded to that in terms of you know, changing the way and, and maybe our empathy as a company towards our employees and to understand um, and then to really provide them an environment where where they could, you know, do their best to balance between work and life. And so in in the early days, you would get embarrassed when, you know, your children would walk on a conference call or, you know, somebody would interrupt you during a meeting. And, you know, through the pandemic, people became much more comfortable, much more understanding, much more empathetic. And so, you know, we delivered technology to tens of thousands of customers across this, uh, across Asia Pacific. But the greatest learning for us was about people and, and to understand and to empathize with our, our employees, our customers, that are dealing with very complicated work-life balance environments. And for many on this call, you probably still are dealing with that uh, day in and day out. And so, you know, enabling technology to support and help you in balancing all of those things that are going on in life. So as a follow-up, uh, technology influencing culture, because that's really a compelling idea. How do you ensure that every innovation that you get into considers culture? For us is when we think about culture in terms of um, our technology, it's, it's as we deploy technology to our customers, our partners, uh, is making sure that we understand that the technology has to some way uh, complement what a physical environment needs to look at and look like. 
So, in fact, when we think about our WebEx suite, our goal going into the pandemic was to make WebEx 10 times uh, a better experience potentially than being together in person. And so how do you do that? You do real-time translation services. So if, you're, if your customer is Japanese, uh, we can translate that into English. Uh, if we wanna capture notes and understand what's going on and put those notes together so we can go back through the meeting later, be able to do that. If we wanna do questions and get a feel for how people are feeling, then you know you can put a thumbs up or, or do a clap and automatically WebEx will notice that. If you're in an office and you can only have uh, two people in an office because of social distancing measures and you're talking to others, the tool will tell you when the third person walks into the office that you, know, you violated social distancing. So AI implemented with rich technology and innovation to make sure that um you know that we understand uh, and we leverage technology um to help in sort of that cultural divide and the things that we need to do the other thing i would say is in regards to culture um we were very very sensitive to understanding exactly the type of technologies and tools that our customers and partners really wanted from us to help them create either their work environments or their home environments. So it's the at the forefront of everything we were thinking about as we work through the pandemic and are still working through the pandemic. Nicholas, what about for Huawei? Your focus in strengthening efforts and solutions that are grounded on 5G, AI, and the cloud, among others. Why is IoT important for enterprises today? Uh, I want to share two viewpoints on this. The number one is most industries are being reshaped by new digital technology. And it's not only help business maintain and increase productivity, but also unlock new market opportunities. Number two, in coming decade, enterprise with well-developed ICT infrastructure are better positioned to improve their competitiveness in the market. Uh, from 2020 to 2021 are uh, difficult years for everyone. The pandemic is still serious in many areas. Worldwide digitalization is picking up pace and expanding into more industries. Today, even traditional industries such as manufacturing, education, healthcare, finance, transport, and energy are also adopting 5G, AI, cloud, IoT and other new technologies, as well as developing new business models. According to the data from IDC, by 2022, 70% of organizations will be using digital technology to change their business processes and improve the customer experience, productivity, and resilience to foster the sustainable development. I want to take two examples. The first one is during the epidemic uh, Huawei Cloud co cooperated with partners to provide online courses services to 25,000 schools and 17 million teachers and students in Guangdong, China. The technology are accelerating the fundamental educa education, even in the pandemic. 
Second one is many workplaces have shifted to the contactless operations, leveraging the automation technology in factories and online vehicle logist logistic services in business parks. In the background of the canceling provincial toll gates on highway in China, Huawei provided an integrated smart site solution that supports free flow toll collection in, on highway, including the terminals such as integrated smart sites on ETC ports, high-speed transmission network, cloud platforms, big data platforms, O&M management, and security assurance services, making the toll collection from the manual to automatic efficiently improves the running efficiency of the expressway. And I believe that the technological innovation will be the main driving force for industry development over the next 10 years. So it's really very clear that accelerated and accelerating digital transformation journeys are here with us to stay. And, and putting this as a constant top priority improves productivity, keeping us competitive, also focus on the customer shifting needs. So Manny, what to you is the path of digitalization for a legacy company that's now evolving to enable customers' digital lifestyles? Well, I, I think it, um, given the circumstances nowadays, it has become an imperative for companies outside of telco. As you know, we're invested in, in power companies, in tollways, in water, hospitals, and the like. And, um, you know, in the old days, the, the value of a company is, has been created mainly by the traditional metrics, no? profits, cash flows, and the like. Uh, nowadays, I think uh, the, the imperatives, in addition to the, the very basic metrics of the, by which you're measured, uh, sustainability is one, and the other is digitalization, your ability to adopt technology. So it has no longer become a luxury, it's an imperative. No? Um, for example, in the case of our tollways, I think Nicholas alluded to it uh, in terms of their experience in China. Um, they have started to adopt the digital pattern of doing their business, partly because they were driven into it when the government uh, required that all tollways operators, and we're the largest in the Philippines, must use RFIDs. So in the process of shifting from cash basis to RFIDs, we managed to obtain data from more than 2 million uh, motorists who drive through our tollways here in the Philippines um, and elsewhere in other parts of Asia where we have tollways. So we're able to generate the data of, of, on motorists and therefore we are able to know the pattern of their, of their uh, uh, journey uh, as they drive through our tollways. And the uh, holy grail for us, right now we still have the barriers and the holy grail for us to be able to remove the barriers because we're able to track from the time they enter a toll booth all the way to the to their exit point, no, we should be able to do that. Um, the consequence of that is you spoke about culture. Uh, we have uh, prior to RFIDs, we've had more than three thousand uh, toll booth uh, attendants, and now we're down down to about ten percent of that. So the cost savings generated uh, tangibly by by digital digitalization is there, no, very very important to us. And now they're looking at other ways uh, to be able to adopt digital technology, like, uh, like parking. If you're driving through the city and you need to go to Makati, uh, then there are ways now, apps that enable you to find uh, available parking spaces. So 
and the same is true for for our hospitals. I think uh, uh, Cisco alluded to it earlier. The our ability to because heretofar hospitals have been hemmed in by the requirement of space, particularly with the pandemic. Now I think we with telehealth we have the ability to deliver health services digitally or in a mobile way to to our patients. No? Um, so that that has helped a lot. And you spoke about culture earlier, uh, Kathy. We we have to persuade the senior management in the first instance that it's important they adopt this digital technology because you know you 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 will be obsoleted if you don't do that. And values are now driven by your ability to 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 do your digital pivot, right? Especially if you're a publicly listed company. So that's that's a that's a that's a key imperative for our group across the board. I know PLDT Smart are probably at the forefront uh, because of our our panelists here. They're 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 introducing ever so often innovative ways to do things. But it cuts across. Uh, all companies apart from telcos. Yeah, it cuts across and also brings together all the different alliances and partnerships as we're all represented in this panel, just creating that value towards a connected future. And it can only be done through those alliances, creating that global ecosystem and enhancing customer experience. Very important, Suzuki-san, because NTT has just expanded its data center footprint by 20%. So could you tell us more about the intensifying data center race in APAC and how is NTT seeking that financial efficiency with potential investors? Actually, uh, uh, NTT has uh, uh, historically uh, self-funded approximately uh, uh, more than $2 billion uh, US dollar in data center expansions every year. Uh, since we are also able to borrow the funds at the excellent rate because we are part of the larger NTT family. And uh, however, the, we have been seeking our third party investors to acquire interest in certain of our data center assets and to co-finance future development projects in order to improve uh, capital efficiency and reduce its uh, balance sheet exposure. So with that, and we are able to build in the market uh, at a speed and uh, cost all over the world that many of our competitors are un unable to match. So we also continue to explore all available uh, avenues to grow our data center footprint, including uh, uh, raising debt and working with the new financial partners. Well, you've got a full stack of ICT services and your growth driver right now is India. It's the highest growing market for NTT. And when, when you look at the emerging markets, it's really Indonesia, the, the focus area for hyperscalers, when you speak about the newcomers. So what is the value that you create with uh, for, for both enterprise and hyperscale clients? Mm. Actually, uh, as you told, and, uh, the, our the number one growth market is uh, currently India. And uh, of course, uh, Indonesia would be uh, the uh, potential market to grow more. And uh, uh, actually, uh, in those markets, uh, through our tailored local expertise, our worldwide connected platform and NTT's portfolio of global technology solutions, we are an enabler of growth and innovation for our clients uh, wherever they are in the world, including, of course, India and Indonesia. 
And uh, our client can work with uh, uh, one data center such as us uh, for all their business and the digital transformation needs globally. The location where they need to be will be uh, uh, the hundred, more than 160 countries uh, data centers in across uh, uh, 20 countries regions. And uh, uh, aggressive expansion plan to engineer future coverage for us and uh, plan to invest over uh, more than 7 billion US dollar in next uh, uh, four years. And uh, full stack data center and uh, hybrid IT solution, uh, which uh, will be provided uh, globally through NTT uh, subsidiaries and the browser companies. And uh, uh, robust global IP, uh, we are proud of a robust uh, uh, global IP network backbone and uh, for customers to utilize a high speed network. And uh, of course, a uh, uh, local expert team that makes it easy with uh, superior customer services. John, I know that you made a mention of Japan as that uh, industrial nation uh, where Nokia is created uh, in the software it deploys, but give us that experience for emerging markets. I mean, in an industrial nation like Japan in, in Tokyo, you mentioned there's been a focus on fourth industrial revolution technologies to, to improve energy and environmental sustainability. Uh, but what about in emerging markets like Thailand? Because they've really been big on 5G-enabled telehealth facilities. Yeah, I, I think that 5G is really an enabler for this transition to the fourth industrial revolution. I, I actually think that COVID has really simply accelerated the need for this transition. Um, we've been working with CSPs in, in the advanced and also the developing markets, and we see a lot of economic sectors that are really starting to embrace 4G, 5G networking and, and, and the use of industrial applications. I think we see a lot of legacy physical or industrial networks that are used to moving physical goods and they have some, you know, quite frankly, some antiquated systems that they need to become more automated. You know, that, that's really come to the fore with, with COVID and that they need to incorporate more artificial intelligence and more machine learning to ultimately increase productivity and, and and we see this this kind of integration of what we would call operational technology which is in a lot of these industrial segments and the use of information technology or, or quite frankly software so we're working with uh, over 260 companies worldwide across multiple industries to say how can how can the next generation of technology really help with productivity and we see you know, we think the new revenue will come from several vertical enterprises and industries from segments such as transport, um, port, think of ports, think of rail, think of autonomous vehicles, from manufacturing. We see a lot of interest in, in mining, oil and gas, also in health and, and education. So uh, there's a strong desire from these segments to be more, more, more productive. Now, in the advanced networks, before I get to the emerging networks, in the advanced networks, we see there's a clear strategy to become more digital. And we see this decentralization of advanced architectures, the use of edge clouds to really make use of the lower latency in, in, in 5G. But to kind of answer your question, so what does this mean? What is the value that's created? I think it's really the agility, the lower operating costs, more customer satisfaction, 
really being able to deploy more more personalized services in terms of network slices and 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 you know within specific industries or even consumer bundles so i think you know the service providers are trying to find new sources of revenue and the industrials are really trying to get more productivity increase gdp um, with with nokia and pldt we've been working together to standardize the telco virtualization environment the nfvi environment to look at digital operations cloud software to make pldt more agile drive cost savings and and to really increase customer satisfaction so that's that's really in the advanced networks and advanced markets in the emerging markets yeah healthcare is an interesting one i think even before covid19 there was a desire to make digital healthcare and the delivery of real-time care you know uh, doable uh, so why why sit in a doctor's waiting room when the healthcare provider can come to you, albeit virtually? So we've seen a lot of AI, mobility, smart devices, you know, remote monitoring devices to to help with patient-centric care. And we have a technology that we use uh, called Scene Analytics, and that's actually uh, helps us understand you know can we look at and identify people that may have elevated temperatures maybe not wearing their masks. How can we do this in a wide area open environment? So we, we actually see a wide range of industries. I don't think it's just limited to healthcare, but certainly, um, you know, that's that's one of the key segments that we see. Well, let me pick up on cloud and ask Dave about the uh, the perspective of organizations because the pandemic's really sped up the shift toward the cloud. What kinds of innovation could be added progressively as organizations move forward on their transition to the cloud? Well, I mean, I think what we've seen is uh, that organizations have moved in many cases to the cloud and there's many that can't move to the cloud. Either they never built cloud native applications or they're not ready for a cloud consumption type of services. So it really is a world today of hybrid clouds where you're going to have private clouds and public clouds. And, you know, one of the innovations we've seen is uh, capabilities like SASE, Secure Access Service Edge, where you need to provide policy consistently, regardless if you're accessing a private cloud or a public cloud. You need an access control mechanism. You need secure connectivity to your private cloud and your public cloud. So we've seen almost all major enterprise customers and commercial customers really race towards a next generation access model for security so that they can have a consistent policy model, regardless of where they're running their workloads, on-prem, private cloud, public cloud, um, you need to provide consistent policy and security across all of those. The other thing that we see in a massive acceleration around is observability, true full stack observability. And so, you know, applications have been have become fundamental to the business. And so you need to understand how applications are performing. As Manny said, what, what is the user experience and what is customer experience on the app? And now you're delivering an app to a mobile device. Um, you know, your customers are remote. And so you need full visibility of how you're deploying applications and services, either from a private cloud, on-prem, or the public cloud. The other thing that we are seeing is that 
all of our customers are looking at visibility. So they know they're delivering a service and we know the customer is delivering a service, but they have no idea really what the, the performance is, the performance across their network. If there's issues, if there's congestion, if there's latency. And so how do you optimize the experience unless you have visibility? So it's application visibility, it's workload visibility, and it's network performance visibility. So we've seen full stack observability, which I think in Asia Pacific is roughly uh, gonna be a $25 billion opportunity. I think 40 cents of every dollar spent on the cloud today is spent on observability. So we've seen this major move towards gaining visibility and an understanding of what the experience really is for customers that they're delivering applications, private, public cloud, on-prem, all the way down to user. Before we go, gentlemen, just a last round for everybody. And I wanted to start with Suzuki-san. Your, your takeaways in embracing revolutionary technology as a means to thrive and, and serve the shifting needs of customers, uh, knowing that Entity Global is one of the biggest in the world when it comes to data center technology. Yeah, actually, uh, NTT understands and uh, embraces the uh, digital transformation uh, fueled by cloud computing, uh, AI, and others, IoT, 5G. And uh, uh, as part of the data center team, uh, we are constantly looking for a way to develop faster, more efficient data center, and while uh, always uh, maintaining an eye toward sustainability. And uh, combined with NTT's long history of uh, world-class networking products and services, and I believe we are well positioned to lead now and in the future. Uh, within NTT, uh, we also have our venture capital division that is uh, solely focused on the developing and the funding new uh, disruptive technology solutions, either at an early stage startup or an established entity. And this is uh, uh, incredibly uh, exciting as we can serve client needs today and still develop a new idea for the future. And as part of the, this development and research, NTT has uh, committed uh, 3.6 billion US dollars in funding to develop a new solution and uh, drive our R&D across a host of new technologies, all supported by uh, 2,500 uh, research engineers, uh, 16,000 partners, and uh, uh, inventions such as uh, mobile phone technologies. What about you, John? With so many exciting things happening, the, the applications that are yet to come because of 4IR, what do you think is revolutionary leadership? Well, I think I've mentioned before that, that Nokia really creates the technology that helps the world act together, and I think now more than ever we need to act together i think we need to rely on these critical networks and so i think there's a there's a general acknowledgement that there is a network and it has to be secure it has to be trusted and i think when we think about 5g you know it's much more than just a faster experience for consumers i think it's about bringing digitization productivity and growth to many of these industrial sectors that, that, that you know we're suffering from low growth even before the pandemic. And I think we're just at the start. We think of you know, 3G, 4G, 5G. I think 5G is really a 5G era, right? It's a decade. We're, we're really just at the start. I think Nokia is off to a great start in terms of leadership with over 240 commercial uh, 5G agreements. 
but it's you know it's much more than just a faster user experience a faster radio connection i think we're going to see the modernization of networks in terms of ip routing optical networking you know fiber everywhere and i think these this type of capacity will really help in many other you know socially focused sectors i i could talk about education right that's really been clearly a need in the last 12 months where we've had our children have online schooling. And at the same time, there are many parts of the world where people don't have access to broadband. And so, you know, we, we need to give them this broadband, broadband connectivity. So, you know, there, there's extremes. We can think about online learning and immersive and VR type of technology for pupils, but, but quite frankly, we also need to get that affordable internet and broadband connectivity out to the, the underserved and kind of bridge the digital divide. So. I'm really excited about the future. I, I think 5G has a big part to play in it, and um, I think we're just at the start. Dave, what about yourself? Revolutionary leadership for Cisco. Yeah, for us, you know, Cisco's purpose is about uh, creating an inclusive future for everybody, and so building technology that allows people to be included, no matter who they are, where they are, or how they work. If they go to the office or they're working from home, that our technology is built in a way that enables people to feel included uh, and is, is really core to our cultural beliefs as a company. So as we think about next generation technology, it is providing connectivity to the unconnected. It is accomplishing the things that Manny talked about in regard to ESG. You know, what we need to do envir environmentally to create sustainable products that allow for net zero um, emissions. You know, two is how we create technology and innovation that allows for enabling um, countries that are unconnected, either learning, healthcare, um, and providing environmental capabilities that allow people uh, to use technologies to create a better place for for us and our children uh, in this world uh, right now. And then last is, you know, how we use technologies to do the right things um, around governance and provide the capabilities uh, to allow our customers to innovate uh, in regards to their business. Nicholas, what about for Huawei? How are we going to see revolutionary leadership going forward? Uh, I think for us, the, the technology always, uh, the working for the people and for the organization. So with the revolutionary technology, I think uh, we hope our customer and the people uh, can live a simple, personalized and a secure life with the ICT technology. Actually, companies of all industries have invested heavily in tools and technology that help them to understand their, their customer and the person more deeply such as AI-assisted self-help options as a way to achieve significant productivity improvement and better customer uh, experience. And meanwhile, uh, as time goes on, network will become self-organizing, self-healing, self-optimizing, and autonomous, bringing intelligent connectivity within reach for enterprise and uh, the people to provide much more simple and secure service uh, to the persons and the organizations. 
And Maddie, to wrap, revolutionary leadership when it comes to superior customer experience. Well, um, Kathy, I think it's a it's a given already in these times, no? Because uh, what our vendors uh, have said is uh, their technologies that they're developing are really revolutionary in many respects. So you, you have to adapt those, and uh, it's probably just a question of the pace at which you drive the change internally and externally as well. Uh, so that is driven by, in some respects, uh, a change in your mindset, the mindset of your senior management, whose job it is to fill it, filter it down to the lowest level of your employee core. And number two is government. Uh, for example, uh, our water concession business and our power distribution business is regulated, are regulated. And um, and they're, they're, right now, we, in order to be able to build properly, we deploy millions of meters all over uh, our franchise areas. And they're dumb meters. So uh, in the course of lockdowns, in the past anyway, in 2020 particularly, we couldn't read the meters. So the consequent effect of that is that we couldn't build and we couldn't collect. So the receivables of both the water and the power concessions balloon because we simply couldn't build. Now, of course, the government has allowed our meter readers to go out this year, but I mean, that's an area where we have to adopt, uh, deploy, and deploy smart meters. Because at the end of the day, we're very, it's very human uh, heavy in terms of our ability to, to read and properly uh, monitor the analytics of consumption of water and power. And, you know, the power industry itself, uh, today's point earlier, is in the midst of a, of a practical revolution in terms of uh, environmental change. We have coal plants and they have to switch to gas as a transition fuel and eventually to renewables in the next 30 or 40 years. Now that's painful. And the question is going to, who's going to pay for the transition? But we know we have to do it. Uh, same with Manila, the water, right? They have to adopt these smart meters and be more, be more, um, uh, how would you, thorough in terms of the knowing their customers. Uh, they're not doing that yet. So we, we're seeing revolution happening, happening, uh, as I said, across the board for our businesses. So it's our job really to, to uh, be able to, to encourage, if not push them in into that space no? and uh, uh, the enterprise group you asked uh, Nicholas earlier the enterprise group should provide the the solutions to these companies in their pivotal uh, switch no? and of course uh, the Huawei's of the world the Cisco's of the world Nokia's and the Ericsson's of the world are part and parcel of that solution that we will adopt no? uh, let me go to my last point um, we had uh, the executive committee of uh, today, this afternoon, of the Philippine Business for Social Progress, which is really a, a umbrella group of the major corporations of the Philippines and the largest NGO or the largest social uh, organization here in this country. It's been around for 50 years. And when the executive director of the foundation presented uh, their plans for 2022, and he was, he was complaining about... Uh, their inability to gather the data and store the data. Uh, I think today's point and to Mr. Suzuki's point, the cloud, right? 
and they need somebody to tell them what to do. Right. So it's uh, even the social program space that that is needed because they do a lot of uh, social work. They receive a lot of donations from U.S. aid, Australian aid, and uh, private uh, equity funds from Europe that specialize in particular areas uh, here in the Philippines. So, yeah, it's it's if you don't if you don't adopt if you don't change, yeah, you'll go the way of dinosaurs. Well, we're in the good company of partners and vendors who are managing to uh, get us to revolutionary leadership, if you will, Manny. Thank you so much. And to everybody here on this panel for your insights, clearly uh, accelerating digital transformations become today's idea of business as usual. And, and the call to action uh, for the world's business leaders is really to stay ahead of the curve, to remain competitive for the next normal.